Hi, you are listening to Mediation Station, and this is your host, Greg Fenton. And our topic for conversation is called Client, Counsel, and Court, the Three C's of Justice, Where Expectation Gaps with Reality. And our visitor is Ivana Vaccaro, someone who's been here with us a few times, family lawyer, possibly gravitating to family mediation, too. Yes, you've got that right. So how, how is it for you? How are you doing? I'm actually, you know, I've, I've completed the mediation training course, and I'm um, in the middle of doing my internship. So, so I think I have a little ways to go, um, and I'm certainly not going to be mediating, I don't think, until I complete that internship. Uh, you know, but uh, I'm excited. I'm excited about uh, charting this new course. Why are you uh, shifting some of your approach, your mindset, to, from law to mediation? You know, I wouldn't say that I'm shifting. I have to be honest with you. I, um, you know, as a lawyer, we have to be able to discuss and explore the various options available to our clients in order to uh, resolve uh, their matters. And so I take a very, I would say, multidimensional approach to my practice. Um, so I'm not, I'm not the, um, I guess I don't want to say the stereotypical lawyer that's, uh, you know, just edging to, to rush into uh, court. Um, you know, I, uh, for the most part, and, in, you know, where the case is appropriate, will speak to my clients about mediation and try and resolve matters um, without having to engage in, in uh, protracted litigation. So, so for me, it was just a matter of continuing to expand on that multifaceted approach to resolution and, uh, and partaking in it as opposed to simply advising clients to try it, to actually become a mediator myself um, and be able to service my clients uh, in, as best as possible. How has this training that uh, you completed uh, affected you so far? Um, and sort of, I, I just want to go back a little bit because um, of your training, so legal training, how is this mediation training has affected your mindset? And then also, is it opposing in any way, shape, or form with the legal training that you've well, I, you know, I think the safest way to say it is you, you certainly do have to wear different hats as a mediator and as a lawyer, you know, because ultimately the mediator is a, a third-party uh, neutral, uh, and they are there to facilitate communication between two parties so that they themselves can come to an agreement right. uh, that best suits their particular family and their needs. Um, as a lawyer, you are an advocate for one of the two parties, and so you are advancing their interests, and when, and when we have children, of course, uh, what's best for the children. Um, but you certainly are, uh, and, I, and I don't want to say that you're partisan because you're, you're not, but certainly uh, it is a more adversarial process, um, whereas uh, there is no interest in it for a mediator. You are there to sort of facilitate um, discussion, communication, um, you know, resolution between two parties that they will come to on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there are different processes, and, and, and you do wear different hats. And so sometimes it's different, you know, I, I would say it's difficult to reconcile the both at times. Uh, but ultimately, even as a lawyer, you do at times need to, you know, switch gears right. and sort of take the approach with your own client of, okay, let's reality check on certain things. Let's take a step back. Mm-hmm. You know, let's think about this. And, and ultimately, I think as a mediator, you do sort of uh, take the parties there where you will sort of say, to, Let, let's, let's step back, let's think about this. You know, um, uh, so you're not necessarily spearheading it. You're not pushing the parties into a certain direction. So you know, that's, that's a bit of a, that's a tricky 
Mm-hmm. That's a tricky one in terms of you know switching up the hats and and not being not spearheading, not leading, but rather sitting back and saying, okay, mm-hmm. let's the you know the both of you speak to each other, the both of you come to an agreement. Well, you know the fundamental mediation approach is that ownership of decision making rests with the parties. Exactly. Whereas with law, it's a party like promoting one side against another. Exactly. And so the ownership of decision making rests with the third party, the judge. Again, which which you have no control over. And that is what I often explain to clients. Uh, and this is why I'm I'm I've said earlier that it wasn't I can't say it was a huge transition in mindset because a lot of this is what I already do with my clients in terms of saying, you know, look, if you don't make the decision, the both of you together, then someone else is going to make it for you. Mm-hmm. And who knows your family better than you? Uh, and oftentimes it's a difficult conversation to have with your client because it depends on, you know, what stage they're at when they come to you. You know, um, and I always say when you're going through a separation, you know, the, the aftermath. I mean, you, you know, you go through stages of, of anger, of, of just denial, and then ultimately, hopefully, of acceptance. Mm-hmm. And, and that can happen during the course of your representation uh, of a client. And, and that changes things, or it can change things drastically from beginning to end. So, you know, even as a lawyer, I'm constantly telling clients, look, you know, take ownership of the decision here. And it might mean that you have to give a little uh, and the other has to give a little, but ultimately you'll have control over your lives and the, the decisions that you're making together for the welfare of your, in most cases, your children, right. you know, as opposed to leaving that to a judge. Mm-hmm. To a stranger. To a stranger. To a system, well, or to a structure that it's not a parental system or a parental unit, a family unit who has been there from the onset raising and uh, nurturing that family. Again, and, 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 and that's what I say ultimately mm-hmm. is who knows your family better than you? Right. And who knows the needs of your children better than you and the both of you? You know, ultimately the case where you have, you know, two parents and it's it's um, it's a difficult pitch though. It always is because depending on when mm-hmm. you're speaking to your client about the reality of having someone else make the decision, they may not be willing to accept it. They may be they may want to go to bat. They're not hearing you per se when you communicate with them about this rational approach, they're in an irrational mindset. Exactly, and and that's often the case. But it takes sometimes it'll take a client some time to get to that that stage where they can accept that this is their new reality, mm-hmm. and that they need to restructure and they need to move on with their lives, and they can't simply uh, stay in this uh, war. I would say forever. At some point, you know, this is going to have to move on. And you're going to have to sort of get out of the mindset of fighting against the other, uh, that adversarial sort of uh, mindset, and move on to, okay, well, how do we now pick up the pieces and put this back together or put this together in a new way that's going to work for this new family and move forward? And uh, it's not an easy sell, especially when the client's just not there yet. They're not willing to accept it yet. And also I think a factor is who, who made the conscious decision to end the relationship also factors into it's, their it's mindset. True. Absolutely, because oftentimes the the um, individual who makes the decision is ready to start, you know, to come to the table, to start talking about how they are now going to move forward. And for the other that was not part of that decision, not happy with that decision, and really doesn't want to accept this new reality, it's a difficult, it's a difficult process for them because they're going through a roller coaster of emotions. And as a lawyer, you're going through it with them. And what perhaps didn't work within the first 
we'll say I'm just going to throw an arbitrary number out there, but for six months of the representation of that client, perhaps by you know a year and a half into litigation, all of a sudden the client starts to say, you know, I think you were right, and I don't want this to happen, and I'm afraid of what will happen if we go to trial. You know, the uncertainty scares them. At that point, they start to realize, because they also need to go through their own sort of grieving over the loss of that relationship, right? And it's much harder for the party or the or the individual who's sort of been uh, left behind. Mm-hmm. You, the respondent, if we'll call it uh, that. Well, if you want to use t- technical, the respondent. Yeah. or It might not always be the respondent. It might, you know, it might be the actual, for example, oh, it might be the applicant. Possibly, yeah, it possibly. It might be the applicant, but uh, ultimately it's it's the, the individual who's been told, look, this relationship is not moving forward. Mm-hmm. In terms of, you know, there's a lot to consider as part of this whole process in terms of uh, trying to get people to uh, get connected to the information that you're trying to help assist them with in navigating the change of their relationship with this intimate person. Mm-hmm. And especially when there are children involved, that also impacts how and what they make decisions about. And you're trying to present from a lawyer's perspective about the best interests of a child. And what does that concept mean? I mean, that's so... It's so broad-based. And and there's so many factors that we take into consideration. And again, quite frankly, this is where, you know, as I said earlier, there are no cookie-cutter families out there. You know, every family has its own unique needs, unique traits, and there's no one answer for everyone. So, you know, when you're looking at best interests as a threshold... There's so many different factors to take into consideration, and it's not, it may not mean the same thing for one family as it means for the next. But ultimately, what parents have to understand is that these children need a roadmap, and they're responsible for creating that roadmap. We're there to assist them, right? And if they don't work together, they're creating barriers, and it's their children that are going to suffer as a result. And that's right? why the court's there to that's why the court's be the intervener, the advocate for the young people or the children, especially when the parents can't make those rational and meaningful decisions. Well, ultimately, even in my own practice, for example, if I'm finding that a client is in a stage or at a stage where they need more than my help to move forward, then I will ask for uh, sort of third-party professional intervention. It might be, for example, counseling and support for them, and maybe they need that, you know, before they can sort of move on with their proceedings. I would like to know... Do you feel you can wear two hats it's an as interesting a mediator question. And, as a, and as a lawyer, as an advocate as a, and as a family mediator, as L- an me, information or, or advocate? Let me add to an effective oh, way. Oh, of course. Go ahead. In an effective okay. way. I think that I can, quite frankly. I think that my, my skill set as a lawyer mm-hmm. will serve me well as a mediator. And ultimately, I think what's important is to remember or not remember, but ultimately internalize what your role is. Right. You know, I'm very clear on my role as a lawyer. So there's no deviation from that. But even as a lawyer, I have to be able to teach my clients about, like I said earlier, the other options available to them in terms right. of resolving their, their issues. You know, as a mediator, as long as I have a very clear understanding of the parameters that I'm dealing with, and not in terms of not crossing over into my role as a lawyer, um, I don't. Um, I think if anything, I would be probably more effective as a mediator, mm-hmm. given the fact that I understand what my my role is as a lawyer so well, and my, I understand what my role is as a mediator. I think that what I can 
drawn, though, in terms of my role as a lawyer, is you know being able to sort of uh, set a roadmap for individuals in terms of guiding them uh, mm-hmm. and uh, keeping a sort of, I would say, an agenda very clear so that they make the best possible use of their time together at a table. And oftentimes as a lawyer, when we have these four-way meetings um, where you have counsel on the other side and you have uh, another lawyer, uh, you know, there have been times when I have would have really loved to pull the plug on being a lawyer and, and, and said, okay, let me sit down with these two mm-hmm. and let me allow the two of them to speak to each other and let me try to sort of guide them uh, in terms of, you know, what important things they should be talking about mm-hmm. now, you know. Again, for me, it's more a matter of really understanding what your role is, and being cognizant of you know cognizant of it all times, and 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 really putting that into play. So, one element, understanding what our role is, very important, crucial. But do you feel that clients understand the role as you intended for it, them to understand? You mean the so role is the separation? Do they make the separation? Well, at this point, you know, at this point, the clients are very clear about what I'm I'm doing as their lawyer. Um, but, you know, as a mediator, I would have to make it very clear that I am also a lawyer, a family lawyer, but I am not acting in the capacity of a family lawyer. Right. At this point, I am wearing the hat of a mediator, and I am a mediator. I will not give legal advice. You know, you will, at, you may need legal advice right. at some point, and you should certainly seek that independent legal advice, but it's not going to be from me. Um, I think it's just a matter of setting the parameters, and I think clients understand it when you make it clear and right. when you keep them on track. So if there's any deviation, and oftentimes, you know, and I've and I've been to um, uh, sort of a, a um, in my internship, I was at one particular session where uh, they were told that I was a family lawyer, and all of a sudden they looked to me as if, oh, so you're going to give us some guidance, and I right. said, I'm an intern this evening, <laughs> and that's about it. And there will be no advice coming from me at any point in time. So when you engage as a lawyer with parties, each has a role. You have a role. The parties also have a The clients have a role. Do you think the clients are aware of the role that they play, the contribution they need to make? You know what? They, they, I do make my clients aware of the onus that they have as well in terms of resolving the issues in their particular matter. However, again, appreciating that may not come to the client right off the bat, and it may not come until well into the proceedings that oh, geez, now I realize what I've done or what I've created because had I said this or done that, I wouldn't be where I am now. And and oftentimes, I mean, even the needs of the client will change throughout because circumstances change. That happens. But, uh, you know, oftentimes what you have is, uh, you know, you also have the clients uh, that will say, I didn't realize that by doing this or doing that, that it would lead to this. And so they don't appreciate the weight of their own actions, the weight of their own words. Um, and, And even though you may have explained it to them and the impact and the gravity, they may not be in a they place. They may not have heard it. No. And they may not have heard it. They may not be at that, that place yet, you mm-hmm. know, where they don't want to they don't want to hear it yet, right? Especially when they're first ang- like initially when they're angry and they just you know, they, they, they want to feel like they've got some you know, there's some vindication they're, or they're whatever hurt, you want to call right? it. They're hurt. Uh, so they don't want to hear that, you know, what they're thinking or what they're saying or what they're doing is not appropriate or it's not reasonable, or it's not right for the children. So so how do you see your mindset relative to the parties or the client's mindset at the beginning? Well, quite frankly, my mindset 
from the get-go is normally one of negotiation and resolution. Can we work together on this? Can we work with the other party? You know, uh, how far apart are you? Or do you communicate with each other? Can we get you? And oftentimes what I'll do is I'll actually refer my client to mediation, you know, as opposed to throwing them into the ring. You know, my, my first, my approach is, is let's see if we can work through this first before we, we um, engage the, the, the court process. Well, you know, though, that the opportunity of mediation is something you can present, though it also takes the other side to agree to it because it is voluntary. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But you would be surprised, Greg. Uh, I think more, probably more now than ever before, do I get both my own client and the other party agreeing to at the very least try it. Mm-hmm. Try it try it out because ultimately they have nothing to lose. They know that the mediator is not partisan. They're neutral third party. They have no interest. They're simply there to facilitate their communication and to assist them perhaps in coming to their own agreement about some of the issues. And, and you know, the larger issues, of course, are always the children and, and, and perhaps the home and support, etc. So I'm finding more now that people are looking for alternatives. They're not keen on spending crazy amounts of money on lawyers and being... Um, you know, embedded in this, this sort of long, drawn-out legal proceeding. So they are actually quite, I think, more now willing to engage that process. Mm-hmm. Are enough lawyers, though, prepared to provide other options rather than just straight court? You know, I think it depends on the circumstances of the case. I think it depends on the circumstances. But I'm in my own practice, I find that more war, at least more lawyers that I deal with are, you know, speaking with each other, Try to negotiate with each other, work things out with each, or as between themselves, between counsel, and as well, you know, kind of encouraging their clients to try mediation. I mean, again, you know, mediation is probably not right for every case. You know, there are cases where I would not want the two individuals in the same room together, or shuttling for that matter, anywhere in the same building together. I probably would venture to say, but um, you know, I find that more lawyers are certainly open to at least having their clients try it. You know, and hey, if it works. Everyone's better off. You know, I just want to, sir, if I can add, one thing I, that I do find, uh, generally speaking, uh, whether it's through litigation where we reach agreements as between the parties uh, during the process or whether or not they're, you know, the parties have gone to mediation and they come up with some sort of an agreement, I find that the agreements that, um, that parties reach where it's, it's the two of them and that agreement's not, um, it's not sort of a decision that's being imposed on them, they tend to stick to it. Well, there's, there's actually a lot of research substantiated uh, what you just mentioned. Um, there, was a, there was a research, there was a study done in 2015, I believe. Uh, North America, 11% only uh, went back to litigation of agreements, mediated agreements, as opposed mm-hmm. to 78% of agreements that were imposed on. Well, because they, at that point, means. so it's it's absolutely yeah. yeah. Well, they have ownership of the decision yeah. at that point, and I think sometimes you know what you'll you'll hear is that both parties will say, you know, well, you know what, maybe I didn't get everything I wanted, but you know what, this makes sense. This I can I can live with this. This works, right? You know, and they they tend to um, they do tend to honor those agreements moving forward. What I have found the most critical point taken from our clients that we've some family where we do a lot of family mediation in the, at the community level it's the fact that people don't know so on the one side lawyers are not really telling them about the option the mediation option i no, have that's clients not, who that's come, not me that's not you and that's <laughs> no. 
That's great. We have clients who come after two or three years that have been in the court system or in the system, in the adversarial system, and now they have been told that there is this option. Um, so that's one. And the other is there is not enough awareness of mediation at a community level, period. Um, there's not enough information from community centers. There's not enough information. There's not enough outreach, governmental sort of, you know, uh, ways that are, are reaching out to um, populations, especially outside of Toronto. Uh, the farther you go, the harder it is to get that information that there are avenues to resolve your uh, your uh, your issues, uh, your family matter issues particularly. I'm just wondering about the training. So you've taken training and your your whole training is legal training. I'm just wondering whether the family mediation training that is preparing you for undertaking those uh, you know those those cases family mediation is it has it prepared you? Do you feel prepared for dealing with the complexities that are within families, family relationships, dynamics, underlying feelings, emotions, and what may actually be traumatic experiences that people are bringing at the table? Well, I'll tell you, I think that the training itself served its purpose. It was training. And um, the good thing, at the very least for me, was that I've already coming, I'm already coming from a background where I'm dealing with a lot of that, those emotional right. complexities, difficult issues, etc., as a family lawyer. And I've been doing that for the last 14 years. Going through the training course for me was very much like being in law school. It's information overload, right? And you're being assessed based on that information, et cetera, et cetera. The internship is an important part of it because ultimately you start to put some of that, uh, that information into play. You start to sort of get the practical experience, so to speak, which is very much similar to what we do uh, when we um, when we article as, as lawyers. But ultimately, I think, as with any profession, it really is time and experience that makes you a good mediator, mm -hmm. that ultimately prepares you for the difficult cases. Um, so ultimately, the training for me is a, is a, a stepping stone. Uh, the next part of it is exactly what I'm engaged right now, is the internship. But I anticipate that it will take some time and it will take experience, you know, to be an effective uh, mediator, but I think ultimately that you know I already do bring a lot to the table with my family law background in terms of the you know as a lawyer and as well having received the training I received. But again, it's it's a process that does take time. It does you know, right. and you need the ultimately experience. Right. So we we talked about the client's mindset and approach, the lawyer's mindset and approach. What's the court's view of clients who navigate through it? From your experience. From my experience, yeah, because I wouldn't necessarily... I know, it's not a generalization yeah. from your perspective. So from my own perspective, um, in terms of my own experiences before the bench, ultimately, judges want parties to settle their issues as soon as reasonably possible. They know that the family's in crisis. They know that they need to be able to work through these issues, especially the more, the more pressing issues that need to be dealt with um, as soon as possible and that they need to get on with their lives. And so I think that most judges don't want parties, you know, entrenched in this, in the litigation for very long. And, and oftentimes, at the very least, these sort of the conferences that I attend, et cetera, judges are encouraging the parties to speak to one another, to try to reach an agreement, to try to, set, you know, try to settle some of these issues, at, at the very least to narrow some of the issues. And ultimately, I think that 
the objective is to deter them or sort of move them away from trial is to try to get these you know the parties to reach an agreement and you know I don't think the judges necessarily um, you know look favorably on parties that are warring for the sake of warring you know that are not focusing on the bigger picture but I think ultimately the, the drive is to try to get the parties to come to some common ground and get them out of court and I would think there are some empathic judges there are who do not want to have the ownership of the decision making they're trying to encourage the parties to do that well you know Greg it's interesting you said that because oftentimes at a settlement conference a judge will say look you know or a trial man- management conference excuse me they'll say look you know you need to make the decision about right. your children you know otherwise a judge is going to make that decision and you might not like the decision that he or she makes and you're stuck with it you know so really do your best you know they'll tell you go out there talk to each other See if you can try to reach an agreement because you may not like what an, someone else decides is best for your children. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a shift in culture that actually needs to happen <laughs> when we're talking about family mediation and access points and accessing the information that there is family mediation. With great respect, whether judges are prepared to make decisions or allow the parties to make decisions for their children, it's irrelevant in light of the fact that most of our families, most of Ontario, most of, uh, you know, communities do not have access to any type of information regarding mediation, any type of... For me, the biggest dilemma is, this is great. We're all, we're all, we're all thinking, we're all saying, research is showing, mediation is working, everything is working. But then in the same time, we still find our courts overcrowded, our families completely unaware. And I'm wondering, what's the role of of a mediator, or maybe you as a family mediator or a a family lawyer, to inform the clients before they even get to this level, before they even get to this stage of... And I would even include the court. What's the responsibility of the court to to provide that Mm -hmm. people are informed, don't come here, Try and deal with it outside before they file. Just like the information that she's offering right now. How come we don't have that readily accessible? In the community. In the community. So, you know, as a lawyer, I have I have a responsibility to educate as well. And again, like I said earlier, one of them is to allow my to to provide that information to my clients. Look, Mm -hmm. these are your options. You know, in terms of resolving this, and and maybe it might be that one option is better than another. And let's try this first, and then if this fails, we can take this route. Um, So I do that on a one-to-one basis with my clients. Now, you know, you know, often some of the courthouses here, uh, we do have mediation on site. Uh, one of the issues we have, though, again, with mediation is that it's a voluntary process, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, if we get the information out, and the information should be available, it can be available within the courthouses themselves uh, at the various offices or the family law information offices, et cetera, but they have to, the individuals who are, decide that maybe they want to mediate, again, you need both on board. You may have one that thinks it's a great idea and they've got the information available to them there in court, but the other is not willing to jump on board. So that's the other the other issue is it's a voluntary process. We're not we can't we're not mandating it, right? Um, and and you know again I don't know perhaps that might be something uh, that is uh, you know I don't want to say it's imposed because ultimately then you take away that that voluntary aspect of mediation and the self determination and the self determination component. component. So you know there again you have, it's huge, um, you know, contrast there. You know, ultimately, I agree with you. I think the information is not necessarily readily available. 
Um, you know, as a lawyer, I do that on one-to-one with my clients. But, you know, we go into the courthouses, and there, inf- there is information available there. It is. But, again, the question becomes, you know, both have to be on board. Well, in, in terms of what Laura and I, there needs to be a complete cultural shift where the court is not seen as and acts as the de facto decision-making mm-hmm. with regard to families in crisis, per se, that it's the community that actually has that responsibility to help its fellow community members. And having access to those kinds of resources in the community would be better. And it's the parents, it's the families who ought to understand that they should be making decisions for their families. And not deferring to the courts to do that. not deferring to a system that is not a parental system. But, again, it's a change in mindset. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and oftentimes, you know, and I, it's, I mean, judges do it as well in court. Judges will speak to mediation in court and, and you know, suggest to the parties maybe they want to try it, especially at something like a case conference. It's very informal. Yeah. A judge might say, you know, have you considered mediation? You want to try it? You can do it here. You can go upstairs, et cetera, et cetera. You know, but, but there has to be a change in mindset. And and because normally, you know, people, when they're, when they're having an issue, and if it's a legal issue, I think that most people jump the gun and say, well, I've got to get a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Right. They don't say I've got to get a mediator. Right. Right. And it depends how it's portrayed, and that's part of the cultural change because it depends if it's portrayed as a legal issue, then that's a problem. Then you will go for a lawyer. But if if it's portrayed as a family issue, then chances may be that you would try within the family system or unit or community to resolve those matters before you deem that problem to be a legal problem. Because families do have difficulties and challenges and issues and matters that need to be resolved that are not necessarily legal in nature at all. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you also have, I mean, some of the parenting issues, for example, you know, um, interestingly enough, you you don't need your lawyer for, um, but, you know, it's the getting the information across part uh, mm-hmm. that's an issue within the community because ultimately... How is that information going to flow? Who is it going to flow from? Is there going to be one particular community uh, agency responsible for it? You know, you're talking, there are also a lot of remote communities in Ontario, right? Where is that information coming from? Do they have a legal clinic? Is that legal clinic advocating as much for mediation as it is for their legal services, for example? I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, I can't speak on. There needs to be a lot of paradigm shift Mm -hmm. from the template that, the justice system is the catch-all for everybody's issues in life, but whether it's civil, criminal, or family. Again, though, but I think it's happening, though. I really do see it. I really do see it happening. Uh, you know, within my own um, profession, more and more family lawyers are actually becoming mediators as well. So it's becoming uh, an important aspect of their practice. Uh, and What's your feeling I, about that? About I think it's. I think it's. Mediators. I think it's. I think it's. It's positive. I think it's overwhelmingly positive because ultimately, you have you know, what would once be sort of your traditional lawyer advocate, you know, out to to battle it out in court, now saying, no, but I can also mediate. I can be a facilitator. I can help the both of you come to an agreement on your own, um, and showing that as being an equally important aspect of your practice. I think it's very important. I think it's both. It's important for the community. It's important for lawyers. It's important for the clients. I would say, too, though, 
there's, there is a difference from my experience with regard to family lawyers who become mediators and people who are never lawyers who are mediators or become mediators. Mm-hmm. The template from where they've been trained and educated and gotten their experience is, has an impact on how they see the clients and the process and how they facilitate as well. There's a different nature of how things play out. I can see. I can see where. And that's not to disparage lawyers. It's a foundation that lawyers have come from that's ingrained in them from the traditional uh, law school. So I would encourage that law school get a lot of these community based mindsets in the program that also will provide for a cultural mindset shift. Mm-hmm. But see, that's. See, there's almost an assumption there that lawyers don't shift their mindset. No, no I, I, I understand, and I know enough that they do, and there are many individuals who are open, and yet there are others who are not. There are always a few bad apples, Greg. I'm, I, I'm not putting. <laughs> I, I'm not going to label bad. It's no. different. It's different. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, ultimately, look, as a lawyer, you're trained to do one thing. Right? You're not necessarily trained to work with the other side. You know, you are advancing your client's interests. And, um, but at the same time, you know, that, the kind of, you know, the experience I think that you gain as a family lawyer is also very helpful because it can allow you a very sort of uh, keen insight on, on how things might play out and would be great in terms of reality checking. With the parties, even during a mediation, is to say, okay, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? You know, as a family lawyer, you also have those experiences where you can see what the outcome might be if they sort of, you know, fall off the path and they go, you know, they take the road less traveled. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, um, so I think, you know, you can bring a lot to the table as well as a family lawyer who's a mediator. And again, I think that, like I said earlier, I think that mind, uh, set is shifting even for, for lawyers. Which, will be ideal. And I'm getting a signal now that we have a caller. Um, is our caller online? We can hear him. Okay, so hello, caller. Hello. Hi. It's the elf. Oh, hi. Hello, elf. Hello. Hello, Laura. Thank you for joining us, even though not in person, but I by know, phone. It's I'm lovely to hear sorry. your voice. Yes, I'm very sorry I couldn't make it tonight. had a big migraine. Even elves get migraines. But uh, <laughs> I've been listening it was it was hard for me actually to get uh, to get uh, into the radio show tonight, so it was a bit late and I didn't catch the first part. But I've been listening to what you've been saying, and um, it occurs to me that really this isn't this isn't about like you said, it's about a paradigm shift. It's about a shift in mentality, and it's about where the money goes. Basically, bottom line. It's where the money goes. The money right now, the public money is funding the court system. And it's not funding the system in the community, and it's not geared towards the system in the community. It's not like you go to high school and you learn that if you get a divorce, you go to, you know, a mediator and you try and solve your issues. The media is all about going to court, 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 lawyers, and... That's where the money is, and that's where the attention is. And if we really want to change things, we have to change the mindset of government and and have everything shifted to the community. 
I, I wouldn't say necessarily everything. Well, not everything. I, we need everything. as many options as, as Ivana has earlier mentioned that as a lawyer slash mediator, she has a, an opportunity to provide more options than just strictly as a lawyer, and that helps influence her approach within law and thus also as a mediator having the background of a lawyer knowing the, how the system works. Absolutely, and sometimes the court is the appropriate place to get a decision. Absolutely. What do you want to share, Ivana? Well, I, you know, I, I agree with our caller as well, but ultimately the mindset needs to change uh, as well in terms of policymaking and the government and where funds are being pledged uh, and how those sort of resources uh, are being um, allotted in the communities. And so I do agree with you there. Uh, again, it's... Um, it's, 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 again, it's not just a matter of information. I think ultimately I think that the, the funding aspect of it is crucial as well. I mean, let's, we need, let's face it, we also need somewhere to go to get that kind yeah. of information. And, and it may be that it's implemented or um, interwo interwoven somehow in our school systems. You know, I know students as early as high school take, and I, this is what's happening back in my day, we're taking criminal law courses in high yeah. school. And so if, if we're going to be... We're going to be introducing criminal law when you're in grade 11. Well, why not introduce courses about alternative dispute resolution and how to deal with various issues in different forums? And um, so you can avail yourself of those opportunities, and, and that would serve as a sort of a sampling, I guess, if you will, of what is available out there for dispute resolution. So why not start early? I mean, but ultimately, you know, there's, there's, a, I mean, there's a lot of talking, I guess, so to speak, that has to happen, for lack of a better expression. Um, and and it needs to also happen, you know, at, at a government level as well. You know, so back to what you were saying earlier in terms of putting some of that control into the community uh, to, to have those, uh, those options available in the community. But, uh, you know, education is a part of it, and I think ultimately we can start with, with something as simple as the school systems and introducing uh, courses. Well, yeah, as you say, there's no point in, in educating people about it if there's nowhere then for for, for people to go mm -hmm. to, to get what they need. So we need to have kind of both at the same time. Well, ultimately, I think that the, again, you know, the, obviously the more uh, information that's available, the education, et cetera, you know, will also go hand in hand with there being a place to go because as there's a need that grows for something, then the community and the government will respond, right? So we hope. We hope. We hope. We hope. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because ultimately there are already changes I think that are sort of uh, underway and happening again, and, and it's and it's just starting with even you know simply a mindset change. I think you're right. It is moving in that direction. Okay. Thank you, uh, Elf, for uh, calling in tonight and sharing your perspective. It's always highly valued. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. So we look forward to seeing you in person next week, maybe. Yes. Definitely. So feel better. Have a good night. Have a good night. Have a good night. Thank, Thank you. you for calling. Okay. Bye. In terms of us, we don't have uh, too much time left for tonight, Ivana. Can we sort of, um, you know, how do you feel you can shift your the initial expectation of the client when they come into the system by the time they end up later on into the system? And, you know, the longer people go in the system, it has a not necessarily the most productive and positive impact on people. No, it takes a toll. But ultimately, you have to manage your client. You have to manage their expectations. And you do, you know, I mean, you do have to give them a healthy dose of a reality check from time to time. 
uh, in terms of, um, you know, like I said earlier, you know, you have your client that comes to you in the beginning and they may not be in the right uh, frame of mind uh, to be making certain decisions. Um, they may be very upset and angry and hurt. And um, so as a lawyer, you have to be able to constantly, um, you know, manage that ch- that client and their expectations. And you, to a certain degree, have to sort of walk them through their emotions, you know, sort of give them what they can take at different points in time, what you know that they can understand and appreciate and they can work with. I think trying to force it down your client's throat right from the get-go, it's just not, you're not going to go anywhere with that. You really aren't. If anything, you're probably going to have a very angry client who's not going to want to come back to you, probably going to walk away and, and, you know, become some self-represented client that's just going to get buried in the system. You, But you really do have to, um, you know, walk your clients through it. And again, you'll start off at one point and probably end up, you know, somewhere very different just by virtue of the fact that, you know, circumstances change, emotions change, etc. Have there been any unexpected journeys or experiences or events um, that have happened to you ever since you started the training or to shift your mindset from the legal to the mediation, to the family mediation? I think, to be honest with you, when I started in practice, I think, just like I think maybe many impassioned lawyers, you know, you want to be an advocate, you want to be a champion of a cause, you know, your client's cause, and you are ready to go uh, to battle uh, for them. Uh, but I think ultimately with, with simply with time, with experience, you know, at least I've come myself, you know, and I may, I'm sure I'm speaking on behalf of some other lawyers as well, you, you come to a point where uh, what you really want is your client to be able to be very clear about what's important to them and their family and help them get to a resolution that reflects that, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it, and it may mean that, you know, you're, you're not championing every um, particular issue, but, you know, you have to sort of sit down with your client and say, look, the reality is that this may ultimately be the outcome. This is what we know you need for your family. You know, how can we get there? You know, let's take some small steps. Um, I think ultimately, you know, in terms of a, of a sort of, I, I don't want to say it's an unexpected thing, but a change in terms of the way things have gone over time, it's been mostly about, you know, time and experience and shaping the way that we manage our clients. And I, I, I think what would be really ideal is that there's ongoing effective communication amongst a lawyer and the client, a, a constant check-in. There has to be. There so has to be. I, I know, there, you know the thing is that clients are sort of sometimes adverse to because of the cost, because every time you speak to the lawyer, there is a cost factor. But at the same time, if you can create a conversation, a communication style that can be productive, it doesn't need to be so constant it can be informed in selective ways exactly exactly and ultimately it is a relationship of trust so you have to build that as well okay so we got to say good night thank you very much for visiting again thank you thank you laura for visiting here thank you and we look forward to seeing you next month you've been listening to mediation station on chha 1610 am versus latinas mm-hmm.